Thank you, Pastor Chris, and uh, it's great to be with you. We don't live that far from you all. You understand when your son is on staff of a church, you kind of lean in that direction, usually. In fact, if it wasn't for uh, the fact that they moved to Tennessee, we probably would still be scattered someplace else. But we, we have this thought in life, it's developed over years, that because of Christ, all of God's children are good. So I'm, I'm testing this out. I also believe that all of God's children have problems, all of us. So um, we've, we've been in the northeast, we've been in the central part of the country, we've been on the west coast. Now we're getting to experience good southern life, and uh, we're testing our, our, our thoughts here as well. And so far, God has been gracious to us. We've enjoyed so much just being a part of uh, this community of faith and for me, Chris, just to get to know you a little bit, we're working on that still, but um, we pray for you and for God's blessing to you and to this congregate for this congregation as well. Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the writings of Hebrews? That's way back at the end, and you probably know that, at the end of the New Testament. But uh, Hebrews chapter 6, I'd like to read our text for this morning. It's just a few verses And then we'll study them together. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. And uh, this is the word of God. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God. Well, it has been recited already. This is Mother's Day, and it is that one day out of the year where uh, moms receive at least a token of the positive and well-deserved notice um, that should come to them and to you. Uh, I know that it's been a hundred years or so, a little bit more than that, since somebody named a lady named Anna Jarvis, who came up with this great idea as a positive expression during a difficult time in America's cultural history uh, that we should honor mothers in this way. Interestingly to note, this industry now that is built around was objected to by Anna. She actually went to court to stop all of the commercialization of Mother's Day. It was supposed to just be a time of being together and honoring and respecting Moms. Well, I happen to also note that today the average mother receives uh, things, gifts, to the amount of about $180. Now, I don't know how far you are in that gathering of your $180. Charlotte, I think you're up to about 40 so far. So <laughs> your boys still have a little more work to do, I think. Seriously, uh, you know, I sat at my study this week, and I reflected, this mother's thing is not an easy thing. Uh, And who teaches a mom to be a mom? Half of the, almost half of the people who have ever lived 
have served as a mother to somebody, almost. And uh, there was no school. You didn't get a BS or a BA in motherhood. Uh, you, you watched somebody else before you, and that might have been a good lesson. It might have been a bad lesson, but you went through some of those steps. But there's no evaluation form at the end of the year, right? Nobody says, well, let's grade mom this year and see how well she did. It's really, it's really one of those tough things in life to figure out how you're supposed to do it. And this week, Charlotte and I were visiting her mother, who is uh, almost 97, have I got it right? Yeah, almost 97 up in Ohio. And uh, on our way back, we stopped to see our nephew and his wife. They've been married a few years. They have three children. Uh, one's four, one's two, one's 12 days old. They just moved since the... Last one was born. They moved into a house that's a fixer-upper, which really is a fixer-lower. The upper hasn't been touched yet. I mean, it's... I'm going, how in the world are these young people doing this? This is hard stuff. And, um, and you can look into our, our, our nephew's wife's eyes, Heather, and you could sense, I don't know what I'm doing. I really am struggling with this whole thing of motherhood and being a wife and homemaker and all that stuff. What she needed was some confidence in life, it seemed to me, some encouragement from others who have been down that path. And I think all of us need confidence in life. It might not be just about motherhood. It might be about athletics or it might be academics. I was one of those kids that didn't weigh 100 pounds and wasn't five foot tall when I went to high school. You can imagine I could use just a little bit of confidence in a school of 3,000 students. I know those feelings. Sometimes we think about confidence in terms of self-assurance. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Sometimes it's that, that idea that people would say, well, you, if you can think of it, you put your heart to it, you can do it. So not, we're not going to talk about that today when we think about confidence. Those things may have some merit in them. But God's Word has something to say to us about confidence as every one of us, young or old, would well deserve from God today if we just could lean in and hear what He has to say. And thus we turn our attention to the writings of Hebrews chapter 4 and the short few verses that are found at the end of this particular Letter. And as you've noted, what I want to share with you today is God's pathway to confidence, not in the details. Now listen, not in the details, though it reflects in the details, but in the great concepts of life themselves. And we'll see that as we move through these few verses. So we're in the book of Hebrews this morning. We're going to consider these few verses, and we're going to talk about this matter of God-given confidence. Now, I believe that God intended us, in the broader sense, to have confidence as it relates to our life in public, our private life, and our personal life, in every area of our life. Uh, God intended us to have confidence. Uh, I also believe that the book of Hebrews is a great lesson book for all of us to understand this. Uh, in many ways, we are like the people of the book of Hebrews in, the, in this regard. First of all, the people of Hebrews, as best we can tell, had never met Jesus. They had never personally met him. 
probably the writer of this this epistle had never met Jesus either. So they were all converted or came to faith in Jesus Christ and then they received this letter. That's just like you and me. Every one of us was led to Christ by somebody in some relationship. and We trusted Christ as our Savior. So we're like them in that regard. Secondly, they understood of the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament, but the writings that they had received up until that point. They were So the author of this letter speaks about Old Testament things a lot. And I I mean, I, I don't know your church well, but I got a hunch. You all have been pretty well steeped in the New and the Old Testament. You surely in the adult class today was given a great lesson on the Hebrew Scripture. So we're like them in that regard. And thirdly, this, um, the, this audience to this Scripture uh, were, was made up of a, a group of people who had understood shortly after their coming to faith in Christ what it was to face some opposition, some persecution as well for their faith. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, we read this, but recall the former days when you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Doesn't sound like a very pretty picture. And I I suspect that most of us, if maybe all of us, have not faced that kind of opposition. But if you are living out the faith that Christ has given to you, you know something about rejection. You know something about being marginalized. You know something about people ridiculing you for your faith. So book of Hebrews is a great letter for all of us, for all of us. And as I said, it is a, a lesson that affects our public life, our private life, even our... Let me just remind you of that briefly um, as we prepare to look at these few verses today. Confidence is uh, something that we ought to live out in our public life. Jesus was once questioned by the Jewish people, how long, this is in John 10, verse 24, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us confidently, clearly. That's what he's getting at as he will speak about this matter of confidence we'll see in just a moment don't stutter jesus don't hem and haw jesus tell us how do you think jesus did i think he did very well i think he spoke very clearly plainly confidently of the things that would affect their lives eternally in a context of a public setting with people of all different kinds of backgrounds He also did that in private conversations, and we see that in other places as well as in the New Testament. So it was Paul now in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. He is meeting with the great-grandson of King Herod. His name was King Agrippa. And he said, King said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? This is a personal conversation. This is a private conversation. And in that private context, Paul spoke, of course, with great conviction, great confidence about the things of Christ. So it's in the public context. It's in those relationships that you have with individuals. 
But it's also just in who we are, the personal aspect of our life that God wants us to have confidence. So um, you'll see even in this book, in the 10th chapter, verse 34, we read these words. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Can you believe this? Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew there's that element of confidence. You knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. I mean, you knew there was something more in your core being and who you are, what life was about. So do not throw away your, he says, confidence. It will be richly rewarded. I'm not here to convince you to become confident. I'm here to tell you, claim what God has given to you, intended for you all along. How do we do that? So that's the what of this matter of confidence. How do we do this? How do we get there? And that's where we focus in on these few verses. So there's three thoughts here. I've called them a pathway, stepping stones, things that you will kind of have to work through. And you won't do it all in the next two minutes, but you will do it over the next season of your life if you haven't done it already. And if you have been there, that you'll just deeply be reminded of and refreshed in what you already know. The first step is this. It begins with an authentic affirmation of your faith in Jesus Christ. Think about those words. An authentic, that is a real, a genuine affirmation, confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. You miss this and the rest of it won't make any sense at all. You get this and you're on the pathway of being used by God with confidence. So look at the end of verse 14. Are you with me? Put your finger on the text if you've got your Bibles open. The author says, let us. Okay, come on church. This is something you can read by yourself in your home uh, devotionally, but just for the record, it was meant for the us for the church, young, old, together, let us. So this is something we encourage one another to hold on to the corporate truth of who Jesus Christ is and what He did. That's what we're going to we're going to have to affirm together as a church. We're going to confess it. We're going to believe it. We're going to confess it. We're going to affirm it. Now think about it again. The Old Testament. They had been taught the same kind of thing. You remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, dads were told, parents were told, make sure that you teach your children well when they're rising up, when they're lying down, when they're on their way. Teach them the law, the Word of God. Help them to know it and and, and really believe it. Live it out. That's what they were told. The question is, how well did they do? Not real well. Seemed like there were times when the people of Israel rose up and they reaffirmed their faith, their confidence in God and the truth of God's word. And then within a generation, just within a generation, they were off to doing other things, thinking about other things, worshiping other things, gods to them. That was their situation. They spent their lives, most of them spent their lives wondering as they wandered whimpering, whining, generation upon generation. 
We must be careful for our own spiritual community that we carefully, and I suspect that you do this so well here, but you keep affirming, keep affirming the truth of God's Word. Let's do it together. Archie was uh, one of my life friends. I say was because he's in heaven. He had Lou Gehrig's disease, and at 63, he went home to be with his Savior. I'd come to their, the church that he was a member of in Wisconsin. He was probably in his late, mid-40s, I suspect. I was in my 30s. And uh, we met, we became friends. And then I heard his story. Archie was a self-made man. He owned his own company. He was making a lot of money. One day, he turned on the radio, and there was this, on this, he turned on to a Christian radio station, and he heard an author, if I said his name, some of you would know him, and he heard about what, who God was, and he heard about what Christ had done, and he heard about what God was still going to do in the future. He told his living girl, go find me that book that that guy just talked about. She did because she wanted to please him more than anything else. He read the book. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. When I met him, when I met Archie, Archie was a man who affirmed the faith of the gospel. Let me tell you, that doesn't mean he just got up one Sunday morning, gave his testimony, became a member of the church. What it means is this, that his stepson, the son married this gal, she had a boy, was fed the Word of God. What it means is that there were a group of about 50 college students in our town that he entertained in his home and taught the Word of God. What it meant was when our middle son, not the one that lives here, but our middle son was a teenager, about 16, 17, old enough to have a driver's license anyway, he invited our son Matt to come out and work on his property. And he said, okay, every morning in the summertime, every morning, uh, here's the text that you need to study and we'll talk about it for a few minutes at the end of the day. And he'd go off and do his job and he'd leave Matt to do his job and come back. And he was a mentor to our son. That's when I say we affirm the Christian faith, the doctrine of who Jesus is and what he has done. I don't just mean that we can sign a piece of paper. When, when the author of this text writes, he's calling us to really get a hold of it and start to give it out in the life that we live, that God has given to us. So are you affirming the faith in Jesus Christ? Hebrews 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What in the world does that mean? All I know is I'm supposed to consider him. I'm, I mean really know him as this the messenger of and this high priest of the faith that we have. Or chapter 12, you know these words a little bit more. At the beginning of the text, Jesus is called the founder or the, uh, the beginning of the the very foundation and the perfecter of our faith. Well, what does all that mean? Who is he? It goes on to say that he suffered for us on the cross for our sins, scorning the shame. Christ had confidence 
And he sits now at the right hand of the Father. We need to affirm these and many other kinds of things, I suppose we could say. The text before us today in Hebrews 4 refers to him as what? The high priest. For a Jewish person, who was the most important person in all of their life? There was no, well, there were kings and rulers. It was the high priest. He was the most important person. Why? Well, you probably know this, but one day a year, Yom Kippur, we call it, day of, of God's atonement, late September, early October, this priest would begin his day by cleansing himself. Now, some of you clean up really nice on Sunday, but how many of you washed yourself five times today? And how many of you washed, you did good, and washed your, hand, washed your hands and feet ten times He did, the high priest did, because this was a holy, holy day. And he was going to make sacrifice. He was going to go into the third level, to the holy of holies. He, he He was going to make atonement for his own sins. And then he was going to make atonement for his family's sins. And then in a marvelous picture using these goats, he was going to He was going to make atonement once a year in some kind of symbolic way for the people of Israel. He was the most important person that there was to a a Jewish person. Verse 15 tells us that we have this high priest. He is our high priest. He's greater than the high priest. That's what we need to remember. He's greater than the greatest person you can ever possibly think of. See, the high priest's work was, was symbolic. Christ was actual. The high priest's work was temporary, once a year, an annual event. Christ was once for all. The high priest made atonement for his sins. Christ didn't have to make atonement for his sins. He was without sin, the text tells us. The high priest had to deal with this place beyond the veil. Jesus tore the veil down. He opened the way. Do we affirm that kind of Christ in our life? Do we believe it? Do we live it? That's step one. First step. Got to get it. Second step. If we're going to have confidence, we need to be mindful that Jesus Christ is with us in our situation and in our struggles. That sounds nice. We sing songs about it. Do we believe it? Whatever our situation is, do we believe that Jesus is with us? I mean, really, really with us. This is huge. So verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who is in every respect, in every respect has been tempted as we are. And what does the text say? And yeah, he is without sin. He's without sin. What do you take from this verse? I'll tell you what I take. Whatever our pain is, whenever that pain comes, he's right there with us. Whatever our weakness is, whatever our struggle is, he's not just saying, been there, done that. He's not just saying, If you need me, counseling session. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
in our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. He resonates with us, actually. That's what the text is implying. He, he feels it. You know, moms say it. Presidents have said it. I feel your pain. Okay, sort of. He felt, he feels, he knows our struggle, our weakness. He, his heart beats with the testing of our own life. Family pain? You remember what his brothers and sisters thought about him, at least at times? Yeah, he understands. How about physical pain? Thought about the cross lately? He's got it. He's been there. How about earthly resources? Those kinds of pains. Mm, no place to put his head? Right? That's what the Bible tells me. How about interacting with those people who just don't get it and don't want it? The gospel. Oh, yeah. He was really good. He was really good at that. Hebrews 2.17 tells us that he suffered when he was tempted. It wasn't just a figurative kind of thing. And so here we find ourselves at times. Chris, this isn't a sermon I've written for you. It's for me and it's for all of us. But you know this, that we go through times of struggle and, and testing in our thinking. It's in our thinking about things. And what do we do with those thoughts? This is a paraphrase from mere Christianity. It's not the exact word. C.S. Lewis took a whole paragraph to say it. But he said basically this. Only good people know what it is to, be really to really be tempted. Only good people know what it is to really be tempted. The rest just give in. The rest just do whatever they want to do. Do you feel some, some struggle in your own heart about you, the life you're living or how you're going to work through this weakness? Here is Christ and He was tempted in everything and He wants to walk with us. Do we affirm, do we affirm that in our lives today? Do we focus on Him? To this one who is greater than the high priest who is really our high priest and our intercessor. Do we focus on Him? confidence comes not from the times when God gets rid of our problems so sometimes they do diminish and they do go away here's when it really counts is when we're walking through it right we're going through it there's no out there's no easy way and he says did you know I'm, I'm going to be there right there with you I am there with you few years ago now, um, I was in my study at our church in California, missionary couple that we had supported for years was sitting there with us. They'd had to come home. In fact, we ended up putting him on our staff and he'd kind of let our missions work. They had to come home because Sue had some kind of un unknowable disease. It wasn't Parkinson's, but it was like it. It was some kind of muscular, neurological issue and she was in her 40s and what do you do 
And the best minds in California, at least, couldn't figure it out. And she's sitting in my study, and we were chatting and talking about different things. And she had a walker. She gets up. She starts to walk out the door and down the hall, and then I hear this thud. And Sue had fallen. Oh, man. I'm, you know, I'm not the smartest cookie in the jar. I mean, I just, I shouldn't have let her just go by herself, but there she is. So we're all kind of trying to scoop her up off the floor and get her into a chair. And she says, from the song and from the scriptures, just in her, and it was difficult to speak even, I choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, how do you suppose she could do that? I think the only way Sue did that was because she knew, and I told her at that moment, I said, Sue, you are a sermon to me that I needed for this day. She was living out the truth. Jesus is with her in her affliction, in her weakness. How we need to affirm that in our own hearts and believe it ahead of time before we really need it. There's one more stone in our pathway that we need, we need to take. And I see these as sequential. We have affirmed the faith we have in Jesus Christ. We really know who he is. We're working on that all the time. We're reminding ourselves, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me in my weakness. The third one is this. We must perfectly approach Jesus Christ in prayer. You, you can't miss that, can you, from the text? Verse 16. Here it comes again. It's not just for you alone. He says, let us. Come on, church, he says. Let us. And then based upon these first two steps, what do we do? Well, with confidence, we draw near to the throne of grace that, he may, that we may receive mercy. These are those words that we know well. We may receive mercy and find grace. What? To help in our time of need. So he's not just there with us. He is there and there are these two umbrella words that cover everything that we can imagine of goodness of God, mercy and grace, and it's there for one particular reason. It's there to help us. You know this already. 2 Corinthians begins uh, chapter 1 about, about God. He is the Father of all mercy. I mean, if you're the Father of, any, of all of anything, you are you're the, you're the man. You are in charge. You are the one who has it all. He is the Father of all mercy. Or Ephesians 2, verse 4. He is rich. When God is rich, He is rich in mercy. When God is rich in something, it's like something I can't quite comprehend. He is really rich. So, the writer tells us, open your heart now. Humble yourself. And draw near to God. Draw near to God. I, I, tried, I tried to picture this. I thought, 
what do I think of when I think of God? I've got this, this, what's this throne thing look like for you? I mean, it's big, maybe, and it's bright, and there's sparkly stuff all over it, and there's power, and there's authority, and this ability, and then I read these words, and I just read grace and mercy. What do you know about the throne of God that we're to draw near to? Grace and mercy. Not get, get, receiving things I don't deserve. Not getting things I do deserve. The throne of grace and mercy. I think about David. David, oh, I was just reading this yesterday in, in devotional readings and I came to Psalm 61 and it, David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I for you have been my refuge. Lead me there. I want to be there. They had three sons. Three sons don't do this very well. But we finally have five granddaughters and they're a whole lot better. So there's one, there, there, there's a couple of the younger ones, but from the very early days, these little girls to their papa would come and they would crawl my lap and they would snuggle. And I thought, wow, this is really a weird feeling, but I love it. Because I hadn't had that happen with those boys. God says, come on, draw near, snuggle up, let's talk, let's be together. Because here's what I can do for you. My grace and my mercy is enough to, to help you. You know that word help in the text is a nautical term? I think it may only be used once in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Acts, the 27th chapter, and it, it, it talks there about wrapping ropes around a ship and holding it together. See what God wants to do? Come on, church. God wants to wrap His arms around the us of the church. Who you are, who we are. And help us. Hold us. We come to Him in prayer. Or we come to Him in the Word. That's In fact, we just backed up a, a couple of verses, right? Verse 12, there's the, the Word. The Word, you know, it's sharper than anything you've got in your back pocket right now. And prayer. So simple. So profound. Talking with God about the us, the needs, the hurts. The weakness. Uh, Charlotte and I do travel a, a fair amount. We spend as much time as I can can in uh, mostly in the country of Albania, but in the Balkans. And there's a long story with that. But we also get in the car and drive to Ohio. That's 500 miles to see Grandma. We try to do that every other month now. And... Uh, so we read. Charlotte reads. Sometimes we listen to a book. But uh, she's been reading all about Billy Graham. Now I've read the biographies, the autobiographies, the autobiographical material that he's written latter in his life, basically because I'm just a step in a stone but beyond him or behind him. And I wanted to learn from him. One of the things, though, in recent issue uh, d dedicated just to him from Christianity Today came out couple of months ago is uh, just about who he is or was and what he did 
with his life. And Billy Graham used to say this, that I see God as the coach and I'm the quarterback. Now that, that picture worked for me and it ought to work for anybody that is within shouting distance of the University of Tennessee, I suppose. God's the coach. I'm the quarterback. Now, I, I, I watch those kind of interactions. Sometimes I'll see a, a, a quarterback on the sideline when he's not in the game and he's, he's looking at something with the coach and they're shoulder to shoulder and they're, they're going back and forth and there's this dialogue going, but it's instruction from the coach. And then there's the times when he's out on the field and he's looking back over on the sideline or he's getting a message through his helmet and he's learning exactly what the coach wants. He, see, he's drawn really near to him. No, he just does what he's supposed to do. Just suppose for a moment if you were a quarterback. Just suppose if you went out on the field and you decided, well, I know how to play this game. I know how to do this. I mean, I've been doing this for eight years of my life already. I'm, I'm, a, I'm as good as I'm going to get. Coach. And you never drew near. And you never wanted to know what was in his heart and what was in his mind. Now, I can tell you one thing. If you had any confidence to start with, it'd be gone in a heartbeat. You'd be a failure. So I say to you, church, let's draw near to God who's there with us in our struggle, who is our great high priest, who is capable and able. I was thinking of this just last night. I, I don't know how it came to my head, but it did few of you are old enough maybe to identify with these words. I was raised in a little evangelical free church. The room was about this size. Had these same arches. Had a great pastor. You have a great pastor. All that was great. great. But we only sang certain songs in that church. I didn't know that we only sang certain songs in that church because those were the only songs we sang. So I thought they were all the songs that were to be sung. But I grew up a little bit later and saw... One of the things I did when I was 16 or 17 is I went to a leadership camp for Christian young men and uh, they sang this song. And you know it. It's this, the old hymn, And Can It Be. I never heard that song before. I, 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 I didn't know the words. Uh, the people that were leading this had come out of InterVarsity and InterVarsity was, they sang different verses than, different songs than what we did in our little free church, I guess. And I cried. Now, yeah, I cried a lot, probably, as a teenage boy, more than you're supposed to. But, um, <laughs> but I thought, I've never heard anything like this before. It wasn't because the song music was so great, though it was. Because those words. And then I went off to college on the East Coast, Gordon College. I came from this little free church. We sang these songs. And I went down into the city of Boston to this great historic church. Eventually I'd get married there to this young lady who's the assistant pastor's daughter. But at the time, Rice Nutting would sit at an organ. You know what an organ is? 
Maybe not, but some churches still do. It was a pipe organ. It was, I'd never seen anything like that before because our instruments were just the size of yours. Same thing I grew up with. And they sang that song. No condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Get that? Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, his righteousness. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ, my own. And can it be? Confidence in Christ alone. So, Father, may the words that you have written be lived out in our lives by faith. May we as church, not just individuals, but together affirm faith in you and recognize your presence and draw near that we might live a life of confidence in every area every area of our life because of you, Jesus, for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. So be it. Amen.